tonight, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Judges chapter 20. And I really thought that we might finish tonight, but uh, it's not going to happen, man. And that's okay. God is on the throne. One of the things I've learned and is so comforting to me, and I hope it is to you as well, is that God is on the throne, you guys. He really is. Uh, you are his child. This is his church. And God is doing an amazing work. But um, today we're going to study a chapter. Judges chapter 20 is a really, uh, it's, a, it's a funny chapter, but it's a real powerful chapter. Um, just to kind of bring you up to step. Okay, last week we studied the fact that when uh, this Levite took his concubine to the city of Gibeah, what ended up happening was all the homosexual men surrounded the house. They said, hey, bring out that man. He's pretty good looking. We want to be with him. They wanted to be with him as a homosexual. And so what ended up happening was the man threw out his Levite. He said, no. I mean, he threw out his concubine. Be with her. They gang raped her all night. They killed her. And so what happened when the Levite put her on the horse, he took her home, and he cut her up into pieces. And then he sent her to all the different tribes of Israel. Basically, what we see is that the people of God had sunk so deep into sin that you couldn't even recognize them, man. It was kind of like uh, what we see today in America. I mean, who would have ever thought that we're dealing with the things that we're dealing with? I heard yesterday about a third grade teacher that was arrested. And all these years, man, all these kids, it's crazy what's going on. But see, that's what happens when we turn our backs on God. That's what happens when you say, when someone says, hey, there is no absolute authority. There is no, you know, God who says what's right or wrong. I'm the one who determines that. When that mentality really kicks into a society, you have no rights and wrongs, you have no red light, green light, then what ends up happening, man? The whole country decays. And so after this guy sends all the different parts, think about this, he dismembers his concubine, sends all the different parts of the body to all the different tribes of Israel, what they do is they gather together because it's finally like, wow, this is crazy. It was like a wake-up call. And, and, you know, appropriately so, you know, when something so crazy, crazy happens. But, you know, uh, um, I just pray it wouldn't take something crazy to happen. But if it does, I pray that we would wake up. And we're going to see that whole setting here in Judges chapter 20. When they all come together, look what it says now in chapter 20. Notice what it says in verse 1. And so all the children of Israel, they came out uh, from Dan to Beersheba. And so that's the top north man to the top, the bottom south. They all came as well as from the land of Gilead and the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mizpah. And the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God. Check it out. 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. And then the children of Israel said, tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? How did all this happen, right? And so the Levite, the husband of the woman who was numbered, murdered, answered and said, my concubine and I went into Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. And so he left out a few details, huh? <laughs> he left out the fact that he threw her to them to be gang raped, right? This whole country, everybody here, they're all off. It's crazy what's happening. But he says, yeah, they intended to kill me, but 
They instead ravished my concubine so that she died. And so I took hold of my concubine, cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. Look, all of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. So he says, what should we do? You know, we're all gathered together now. Okay, now what, what do we do? And, you know, and the core of the question here really is what should be done about the sin within? What are we supposed to do now? You see this crazy things happening, right? But we're going to see that God, you know, he wants to deal with the sin. And he can't bless your life. He can't bless your family. He can't bless a church. He can't bless a people who will not deal with the sin. You know, we're going to see that today. But that's, you know, one of the questions. What do we do with the sin within? But another question, I think a deeper question, is how have we drifted so far from God? You know, we saw last week the lack of hospitality in Gibeah, Benjamin, the blatant homosexuality. We saw the so-called leader, the Levite, who did not love his concubine. He instead gave her to be gang-raped and murdered. He didn't honor her in life. He didn't honor her in death. He dismembered her body, sent different parts of the tribes of Israel. And here we see it took this hideous activity to finally bring the children of Israel together in unity to ask, what should we do about the sin within? And man, I pray that it would not take something like that to give us a wake-up call. You know, because that even that small sin within those little areas of our life that we're not surrendering to God, our thought life, our words, our prayer life, whatever it is, all that adds up. And you know what? What ends up happening, unless we surrender every area of our life to the Lord, like we sang today, I surrender all. Unless that happens, man, I'm telling you this, you're going in the wrong direction. Because if you're off just by a little bit, just by a few degrees, then, man, you end up being in a place where you don't want to be. That's where they were. And so... We need to deal with the sin. And so we read here in verse 8, it says, And so all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. We will take ten men out of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a hundred out of every thousand, and a thousand out of every ten thousand, to make provisions for the people that when they come to Gibeah in Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness that they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered together against the city, united together as one man. You'll notice a word there that we see in verse 9, we will go up against it by lot. And you notice the same word in verse 11, so all the men of Israel were gathered against the city. You know, one thing we see, and we're going to see this, uh, I think God wants to teach us a lesson. Um, we got to deal with the sin within. we got to deal with the sin in the congregation. But we got to do it God's way. we got to do it God's way. You know, so far we haven't really heard of them seeking the Lord. Lord, what should I do? I see my brother in sin. Lord... How can I help him? We haven't even seen that yet. You know what we see so far? We're united against him. And that's not going to help. You know, that's what maybe a self-righteous Pharisee would do. But that's not going to help. And when my brother's in sin, and he's not bringing glory to God, and he's serving his wife and family and children or whatever it might be, I don't want to be against him. I want to be for him. 
But see, right now, that's what we see. They're against him. They're united against him. We don't really see them asking the Lord to lead. They assume that Benjamin is in sin, so they assume that they should simply come against them. Okay, so be careful. So what ends up happening in verse 12, it says, And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Now therefore deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who numbered 700 select men. Among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Any of you guys here left-handed, just out of curiosity? And you raise up your right hand, that's funny, huh? <laughs> Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss, you know? These guys were pretty cool. Now, besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. And so, you know, we're going to go through this chapter and we're just going to kind of get a, a general idea of what's going on. There's sin in Benjamin. Lord, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? While you've got 400,000 people from the other 11 tribes of Israel, they're gathered together. And, you know, they deal with the sin. They're going to deal with it. But we're going to see as we go through this that their heart's not really right before the Lord. You know, and, and that's what we're going to see. And that's why God defeats them. We're going to see a few things in going through this whole thing. And I was thinking, Lord, this is really practical for us. Because, you know, when you really care about somebody and you see them living a life of, uh, of danger, you know, getting too close to the fire, getting close to the edge. I remember when we went to the Grand Canyon, you know. Have you guys ever been in the Grand Canyon? Yeah, it's crazy, huh? I mean, when you see sometimes the kids or whoever it is, they get too close to the edge. My mom got too close to the edge. I'm like, what are you doing, you know? You know, and you just kind of like, you don't want to jump over there, but you just want to kind of like, gently go over there and say mom come back you know it's kind of like that's the way it is when people are in sin i think sometimes you know we we just jump all over them and that's not going to help them we really need to be spirit led so what they did right now was they went and and it didn't work now i'm not blaming it all on the confronters but the bottom line is the wise approach would have been to confront the sinful situation with tact and wisdom that's the bottom line. You know, I'm not saying the tribe of Benjamin is excused in the way they reacted. They said, okay, you know what? Well, you know, you coming against us, we're going to come against you. They gathered together for war. I'm not saying that they reacted right, but I am saying that if you know your brother is in sin, nine times out of ten, you're better off approaching them humbly, lovingly, and gently, just like God usually does to us. As a matter of fact, real quick, go over to Galatians chapter 6, you guys, and mark your spot here in Judges. And, and if you would, if you notice in Galatians chapter 6, it says in verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of harshness. No, I'm just joking. doesn't say that. <laughs> it says in the spirit of what? Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also 
be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, when you see them and they're overtaken in a sin, you know, and you want to help them, you who are spiritual, you restore them with, with gentleness, you guys, with wisdom, with tact, with prayer, in the right time, in the right way. Kind of like when David was in sin. It didn't happen right away. It took a while. But in God's perfect timing, the day finally came when Nathan came and with wisdom shared with him the words that he was supposed to share about this parable, you know, and this predicament. And it was just the perfect words to reach a man after God's own heart, David, that God would use to rescue him. And now we need to have that heart. Because when they came and they dealt with the sin, they didn't do it in the spirit of gentleness. We don't really see that. You know, back in Judges, unfortunately, Israel was not mature enough to approach in humility. And Benjamin was not mature enough to respond in humility. And that's a very bad combination that led to civil war. Because look what we read next in verse 18. Then the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. And they said, which of us shall go up to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah first. And so the children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and on that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. And the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves, again, formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. And then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother? Now he calls him brother, Benjamin. And the Lord said, Go up against him. And so the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day, and Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. You're like, wait a minute, man. What's going on here? You know, when you read the story. I mean, the children of Israel are in the right, right? Then why are they losing the fight? You know, 22,000 men, we're the good guys, we're coming, we're confronting sin. 22,000 men die on day one, 18,000 men die on day two. I mean, we read right here, we see they even asked the Lord who should go first. There in verse 18, they said, you know, the Lord said Judah. After their defeat, they then asked the Lord again if they should even go against their brother in verse 23. And God said, go. So why did 40,000 men of Israel, the good guys, die you know and, and we might not know for sure but i know for one there are no good guys number one we see that these guys that were confronting the sin however they themselves were not guiltless you see the sinner needs to be judged yes but the judge needs to be judged as well and jesus said in matthew chapter 7 be careful when you judge here you are, you want to take the splinter out of your brother's eye, but you have a beam in your own eye. And what God was doing with the nation of Israel is he was dealing with all of them. 
He was dealing with the children of Israel, and he was dealing with the children of Benjamin. He was going to judge sins on both sides of the camp. And all I'm saying is this, guys, we've got to be careful. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this. A lot of times people say, well, you know what, no one's supposed to judge. Well, we are supposed to judge. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, do you not judge those who are inside? We don't judge a non-believer, but we do judge the individual who professes to be a Christian. They say they're a God follower, but they're over there sleeping around. They're going out on their wife. You can judge them. You can judge them. But you have to judge yourself first. You have to search your heart. Say, Lord, why am I really doing this? Do I really care about them? You see, and what we see with Israel is they weren't really where they needed to be. Benjamin wasn't where they needed to be. The whole nation was going downhill. And what God was doing was God was really, you know, meddling with the middle, handling the heart. God was wanting to bring this nation back to him, not just one-twelfth of the nation. He wanted the whole country to come back to him. And that's why, you know, and it's kind of funny. They didn't go to the Lord and say in the first place, Lord, you know, should we go? Is there any sin in our life? They just said, who should go first? You know, they didn't ask the Lord that, right? And so a lot of times we go to the Lord and we say, hey, Lord, what do you think? Him or him? And the Lord says, neither. <laughs> But we're like, no, we just want, those are the two options, Lord. This is the two options. And the Lord says, no, you don't come to me like that. You come to me with an open heart. You come to me open to whatever it is I want to do in, in your life. And I will show you. Don't come to God with options. They came to the Lord. Who goes first? God says, okay, Judah. I'll kill him, right? They're going to die first, right? And then they, secondly, they kind of come a little bit more humbly but notice what happens the third time when they come to the Lord. It says in verse 26, And then all the children of Israel, that is all the people, they went up and they came to the house of God and they wept. And they sat there before the Lord and notice they fasted that day until evening and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And so the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord says, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. You see, God wanted them to confront the sin, but also God wanted them to confront their own sin. God wanted them to confront the sin in His way, in humility and not arrogantly. We see right here that this time they wept and fasted. This time they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, which is in reference to absolute surrender and fellowship with God. They consecrated themselves and they even brought out the Ark of the Covenant, inquiring of the Lord basically at this time now finally open to whatever the Lord wanted. And this time, the Lord said there, I will give you the victory. And so let's take a deep breath, everybody. Ready? Okay, let's read verse 29. It says, And then Israel sent men in ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at the other times. And so the children of Benjamin, they went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. 
And they began to strike down and kill some of the people as at other times in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. And in the field, about 30 men of Israel and the children of Benjamin, they said, ha, ah, they're defeated before us as at the first. But the children of Israel said, hey, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. And so all the men of Israel rose from their place, put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush, they burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba, and 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. Think about that for a second, you guys. 25,100 men dead, plus all the women and children in the city of Gibeah. They all died. Imagine that. And so the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they should make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city. They burnt it, right? As a matter of fact, today, archaeologists, one of the archaeologists by the last name of Albright, he discovered this city, destroyed 1200 B.C. by fire, just like the Bible says. It's amazing. They burnt the whole city down. Whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel. For they said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked for they saw that disaster had come upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them. And whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All these were men of valor. Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon. And they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly up to Gidim and killed 2,000 of them. And so all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the Rock of Rimmon, and they stayed at the Rock of Rimmon for four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword. From every city, men and beast, all who were found, they also set fire to all the cities they came to. And you know, it's a heavy story, and I think it's an important lesson for us. That's what sin does. It kills people. It kills them. That's what my sin does. You know, that's what that guy's sins does, you know, to the, to the, to the family that he's supposedly leading or, 
or to the friends that are supposedly, you know, friends. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly, but the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. And there you have a visual illustration of what ends up happening. When we don't deal with the sin, you know, looking at this war right here, the children of Israel drew the men of Benjamin out of the city, you know, pretending to be defeated as at the other times. We see that when the men were drawn out of the city, the Israelite men then ambushed the city, killing the women and children, and they set the city on fire. And so what would you do? There you are, you're a father. And you look back and you know that your wife and your kids just got burned. They just got killed. What would that do to your heart? They panicked. They knew that now they were headed for disaster. That's exactly what happened. They knew disaster was upon them. And we see right here that 25,000 men of Benjamin died, leaving only 600 men hiding at the Rock of Rimmon. And when you see this whole thing, and just a couple of things, you guys, before we take off, you know, you see them going in and, and, and drawing them out and then getting the victory. You see them getting the victory after the defeat. What does it remind you of, you Bible scholars out there? Does it remind you of any other time, any other story you read of in the Bible? I'm sure you guys know, huh? Don't you? No. <laughs> I know some of you do know, but you're still humble. It was after the defeat of Ai in the book of Joshua. Remember Joshua chapter 7 and then we see after that sin of Achan that they, that they were defeated by their enemies. You know, and, and you can't, you got to connect the dots. You got to be able to see what God is trying to say. That the children of Israel were not able to experience victory in their life when there was sin in the camp. They just not, it's not going to happen. It happened in Joshua. It happened again in Judges that when there's sin in the camp, God can't give the victory. You know, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect because none of us here are perfect, but you know what I'm talking about. You guys know the Holy Spirit, He puts His finger on areas of our life that really need to change. The persistent, the insistent, the resistant. God says, listen, man, I can't do what I want to do until you get rid of the sin within. You see, in looking at this, we need to deal with the sin, the persistent, insistent, resistant. And God will help us do that. Warren Worsby said this, when sin isn't exposed, confessed, and punished, it pollutes society and defiles the land. You know, there's that scripture over in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, it says, if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't be what? Judged. You guys... God, I think, starts off, first of all, by just Him and you. Just the Holy Spirit and you talking to you, saying, Hey, son, hey, daughter, I love you so much, mijo. The Bible says, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke, where God speaks to you. But if you're not going to listen to the voice of God, my prayer is that God would send somebody to tell you. That God would, you know, chasten you. God would deal with us. Because when we don't listen to the voice of God, then what ends up happening? Other people need to get involved, but we've got to listen to the Lord, and we have to change our life. You know, when you look at the condition of the nation of Israel, where they were, I mean, man, we know it didn't happen overnight, but eventually they came to that place, craziness of all this stuff happening. 
You know, and sometimes people, man, they walk with the Lord, and then, you know, next thing you know, I mean, I don't know how it happens, but it happens. You know, eventually they find themselves doing things, saying things, being things that they would have never thought, man. They would have never thought. But it happens so subtly. You know, you guys have probably heard that illustration of, of how they, they cook fresh frogs. You guys know how they do that, right? They put them in the water and the frog says, kicking it, and he thinks everything's all right. But what they do is they put the fire up just a little bit, a little warmer, a little warmer, a little warmer. And that's what happens when we're playing with sin. Just a little more, a little more, a little more. No big deal. Ain't no thing but chicken wing, right? And then what ends up happening, man, before you know it, by the time the frog realizes that he's in hot water, it's too late. And that's why my... My cry to you, I implore you tonight, that if there's anything that in your life that doesn't belong, I just, I just beg of you, God does. He won't repent for you. You're not a robot. We have to make that decision to get up in the morning and to pray and to spend time with Him. We have to make the decision to read and pray with our family. He's not going to make it happen. You know, we have to make the decisions, you guys, to serve the way that we should, or whatever it is. You know, I, I know even in a, in a place like this, you know, maybe some of you here are dealing with issues, addictions, pornography. We have to make those decisions, and if God lives in you, you have the power to overcome whatever it might be. The sexual sins in the dark that you think no one sees, and yet God sees everything. You don't have to do that. You don't have to. See, because that's like that other illustration I remember, and it always just stuck in my mind. It's such a vivid illustration of how they would trap, you know, the wolves in, you know, Alaska. What they do is they take a, a real sharp blade and they dip it in blood, they freeze it. They dip it in some more blood, they freeze it. They dip it in more blood, they freeze it. And before you know it, it's like this, you know, blood popsicle, right? And so what they do is they then fasten it to the ground. And so the wolf comes and he says, oh, man, I got me a lollipop, Right? And so the wolf comes and he starts licking that. Oh, this is so good, man. He smells the blood and he loves it. And he's licking it and licking it and licking it. But before you know it, he's licking this lollipop, this frozen thing. What ends up happening? His tongue becomes numb. And before you know it, the, 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 the frozen blood's gone and he's licking it. And the next thing you know, he's licking his own blood to his death. And you know, my prayer is that no one here would go to hell. No one here would end up in hell. But that can happen. And if it's just one or two or three people that it affects tonight, man, I pray that it would affect you, you guys. We have to, you know, strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Because they weren't dealing with the sin. Next thing you know, they've got all the homosexual activity, all the sexual perversions, the murder, the gang rape, the lack of love. I mean, it just digressed. That's what happens when you don't deal with sin. And that's what happens when we don't deal with sin. Three things, real quick. What happens when we don't deal with sin blindly? We're going to suffer, right? What happens when we don't deal with sin with the right heart, self-righteously? That's what they were doing. They were going in, hey, you know, Israel thought they were all that, and they weren't. And God's not going to honor that. What happens when we don't deal with sin, not only with the right heart, but in the right way? And in the end, what we find is that they dealt with it excessively I mean they, they, they dealt with Benjamin as if he were not a brother this is the way they utterly destroyed who? the pagans 
And that's why we have to come back to Galatians chapter 6 and God would give us the wisdom. We don't overdo it. We don't do it excessively. We do it biblically. We do it humbly. We do it gently. We do it faithfully though. Because God wants to change lives. We need to be holy, humble, and gracious. Let's go over to Matthew 11 and we'll close with this, you guys. Because maybe there's someone here tonight and you're struggling or, you know, whatever it is, you know. And, and our job is just to point you to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, notice what it says in verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you're here today and you're struggling, if you're here today and you know you're just, even you feel dry, you feel distant, you are dry, you are distant, it doesn't matter wherever you are. Even for those of us, maybe tonight we've, you know what? Things are going pretty good. It doesn't change. We all need to go to the same place. We all need to make sure that we have it in our heart that in the end we come to Jesus Christ. What does he say? Come to me. Take from me. And learn from me. When you come to Jesus Christ, he will give you rest of salvation when you come and you believe. And then as you're there and you take from him and learn from him, you're going to find rest when you come clean and you begin to not only just believe, but you begin to behave. God will give you rest as a believer and you will find your rest as a behavior. My prayer, you guys, tonight is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would have this personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and that we would come clean, you know, and that we would surrender everything. Father God, I thank you for allowing us to study your word today. Father, I thank you for even the visual illustrations in the Old Testament, Lord, of the New Testament truths. Lord, we saw how far the nation of Israel went there in Judges, Lord. And we see how, Father, we can drift away that we can find ourselves doing things or being people that we really are not intended to be. God, how you called us to be sons and daughters with love, peace and joy, hearts of obedience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How you've called us to be people who would be true friends, true husbands and wives and fathers and mothers here today, Lord. Servants of the Lord. Father, I pray that we would not drift away from any of our roles and responsibilities in life. And Lord God, I pray that we would just return to you with everything that we are. And even though we know we're nothing in and of ourselves, Lord, we know that you can take, Lord, jars of clay and you can fill us with your love, with your grace and mercy. Father, I pray especially, Lord, tonight, just for anyone here today who's struggling, anyone here today and... Lord God, who feels distant, who feels far away, who is far away. Lord, I pray that you would bring them back, that you would just remind them, Lord, 
of your great love, of your great holiness, of your great grace, of your great forgiveness, of the great freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Lord, for the amazing, amazing work that you're doing in our life. And we pray now, Lord, that you would help us to learn how to deal with sin. Help us, first of all, to deal with it in our own hearts. But secondly, we can't ignore it. And so, Lord, help us to be used by you in a gentle, humble, loving way to restore our brothers and sisters, not excessively, but faithfully, humbly, and gently. We love you, and we thank you, and we pray together all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.